0: The weekend variety wireless with Dock Edge Festival. Get a free program at dockedge.nz.
1: We are so all over the Documentary Edge Festival starting. Well, it started in Wellington already. You are so lucky at the Roxy Cinema. Uh, It's going till the 20th of May and at the Auckland... Uh, Q Theatre, 23rd of May till the 4th of June. We have double passes to give away to any documentary you want to go and see outside of the gala things where people walk on red carpets for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, Because they're famous and stuff and they want to make a fuss. And that's fair enough. But if you would like to win a double pass to any of the documentaries at the Auckland Sessions of the documentary edge festival give us a call now 0800 844 747 0800 844 747 do it now welcome along to the weekend variety wireless podcast and radio show coming up later this evening Documentary Edge Festival directors of a thing called Let's Talk About Sex. Um, What do they call it? Something or other? Housewives? I think that's it. Um, One of those people is uh, going to be on the show later on this evening, as well as the director talking about their movie, Let's Talk About Sex. Wanting to be frank and... Sex positive, I think, although they're very, very anti-porn. We'll ask them about that. Jason Bonham, the son of John Bonham, Bonzo Bonham, the drummer from Led Zeppelin. He's doing a dedication show to his father's work and the works of Led Zeppelin. It's done with scholarship and it's done with love. And he's a great chat. He was 14 when his dad died of drinking a distillery in one go. Um, How that affected him and what that was like growing up with people like Robert Plant um, and Jimmy Page, you know, popping around. Did he even know that they were in a band? Some of the answers you will find surprising. A fresh outsider this evening, Tupaya, the Tahitian man that joined James Cook with the Endeavour towards New Zealand and arrived at New Zealand. Boy, how that would have been different if Tupaya hadn't been there. Tupia's amazing story, how he managed to translate uh, what the locals were saying, and it made such a huge difference to that Endeavour trip. Although there was plenty of blood and gore and hell that went on, even... Well, despite the fact that they had someone who could understand, fair enough, what the locals were saying. That'll be after 11 o'clock. All right. Uh, We have uh, Damien. Hello, Damien. Hello, I'm Frank. Do you want to go to one of these Documentary Edge Festival things? I'd love to. I'd love to. I've never actually been to one, but I'd love to go. Oh, we'll get you a program as well. All right, so you can pick out what you want. Um, It's from the 23rd of May to the 4th of June. Okay, no hoops to run through. I'm not going to ask you any um, crazy questions or anything. Yes, thank you.
2: Can I just uh, make a comment? Okay. I I work every Sunday. And I go home every Sunday night listening to your program. I absolutely love it. Absolutely love your Sunday night programs.
1: Oh, that's very nice of you to yes. say so. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. I
2: drive a coach, and I have fifty people of tourists on board every every uh, Sunday, well, every day of the week really. And um, I always have you going on the coach. So everybody, you got people from all over the world listening to you every Sunday night.
1: Jeez, you've just given me a <laughs> sense of responsibility I don't feel I want. I just imagine I'm talking to one person, my
0: mother. Very, very positive comments come out come out of it if I leave it on that station. On okay,
1: the station. <laughs> nice one.
0: Okay, bye.
1: Thanks, Uncle Errol. <laughs> Can you take him and get his details and make sure he gets a double pass to the Documentary Edge Festival in Auckland so he can go and see whatever he likes? Okay. I'll um, I'll buy him a drink later. I won't call Errol. Yeah, I'll just do that one. Okay. Uh, Ten after eight o'clock. I have an announcement to make. This is a serious announcement. It's not an apology. Don't get ready for a Paul Holmes. I was tired and emotional moment. The New Zealand economy must be, I think, going as hot and as brilliantly as it possibly can. I don't think it could go any better. Forget Hong Kong. Forget Shanghai. Forget Silicon Stupid Valley. Forget Singapore. None of them. None of them could be doing as well as New Zealand's economy is doing right now. Here's my proof. Ring up a panel beater and ask when you can get something done. It goes... I could go on for realism's sake, but I won't. There's a lot of those, and they're just... Hi, I've just um, got a little bit of rust in the front panel of a blah, blah, blah. When do you think you might be able to have a look at it? And the first reaction is, oh, (laughs) when? You mean you want to bring your car in? Yeah. Oh, look, it's, we're into May. Um, We're probably booked up until Christmas. I don't know when we'll be able to see you. I really don't know. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, I might try somebody else. Can I bring my car in? Same thing. Oh, look, um, no, there's no way we can see you. Well, look, it'll be July, probably. Uh, That'll be the first, the the earliest, at least, that we'll be able to see you. Oh, really? Okay, okay. Man, who are these people that have got their cars in there now? You want some plumbing done. Or something to do with uh, guttering. Guttering is, in fact, the symbol of Western civilization. You have a look at a place that doesn't have guttering, you know you're in the third world. Guttering. Uh, Just need a little bit of guttering help. You ring up a plumber or a, I don't know, Marley people or whatever, whoever they do it. Oh, look, I don't know when... when When do you want it done? Oh, later this week? Oh! Gales of laughter in the background. Gales of laughter. Hey. Jenny, this guy wants something done this week. huge laughter in the background. Uh, Look, we can't get anything to you for, look, it'll be August, I think. This is an indication that the service industry in these sort of places are running as hot as they possibly can. Is there any other conclusion other than the economy in these areas cannot run any hotter do we need more panel beaters why is it like this i don't know why is it so hard to get something done good god i'd love to be a panel beater is business really that
3: good
0: the weekend variety wireless with dock edge festival for details visit dockedge.nz I have a lot of fight left in me, I'm not breaking down.
3: The New Zealand Herald published a smear by TV blogger Paul Cassidy. The blogger is obviously emotionally disturbed.
4: We will never feel safe again.
1: Uh, I aired grievance number 149, paragraph 2 earlier, Paul. Trying to get something done in this economy. Um, it, we must just be soaring ahead. If you're trying to get something done, like a bit of panel beating or maybe some guttering, eat and the, we're booked fi- up till Christmas. you trying to fix that old car of yours, are you? Yeah. Yet again. I mean, somebody, uh, they can't just be sitting down there having a pie going, we don't feel like going to work. Uh, things must be going really, really well. I don't think I'm the only person to experience this. Do, do you find this, it's, its you know, in the service industry, things that take um, skills and crafts, it's very hard, isn't it? Well, I'm a
2: bit younger than you, Graham, so I haven't quite reached the grumpy levels that you that you've attained at the that. moment. Which you're are pretty
1: You're not that bloody much younger, you are pretty good. You're good, don't you? You're, 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 you're getting up there, and then another thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you've you've arrived.
2: But you've got you've arrived at four grumpy old bastards.
1: I think I have, and I I think I'm fo- I've, I'm right. Uh, things have and to be I going pretty right. well. I think things, I think I'm right. Everything I see tells me I'm right. I'm right.
2: Um, Well, apparently it is quite low. Uh, There is very low unemployment at the moment. So I guess that all adds together, doesn't it? A little bit.
1: That's it. I know. I can go full hosking now. I'll say, and that's all the fault of the Labor government. Why you can't get something done? We have such (laughs) low unemployment and (laughs) there is such prosperity. I can't get my Ferrari fixed. Stick it, Jacinda.
2: Yep. Yeah. No. It's. it's uh, yeah. That's right. Yeah.
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, I heard something. I just learnt of something today. Actually, uh, Paul's ringing in because he's infectious at the moment. I hope I haven't spoken out of school, Paul. No, he's no, right? got a
2: cold, and I know that radio studios are the worst place to go if you've got a cold because. You breathe it all over the microphones and you yeah. touch it all over the headphones. And yeah, the yeah. Blah, but, I mean,
1: you don't want fact, to see the yeah. combination of Sainsbury moustache and mucus. It's, it's not a good blade. sight. Yeah. So God bless you for not turning up today, Paul. Um, I learned of something called Betteridge's Law of Headlines. Have you heard this? No, it sounds good. You can Google it and it's right there. Um, if something has a question mark in the headline... The answer is, and this is quite a claim, always no, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool, actually. You, know, you see a headline, uh, is Jacinda an anorexic? Answer. No. Uh, th- uh, any headline that they put in for clickbait or anything like that, it's got a question mark on it. Betteridge's Law says the answer is no. And I tried it out with you know a, a few, and it's, it's a damn good law, actually. Oh, that's, yeah. It's it, it's a
2: very popular thing to have a question in the headline mm. because they want you to click on it to find out the answer, don't they?
1: But the answer is no.
2: That's essentially what it's all about.
1: All right. Uh, John Campbell taking on the world this yeah, week.
2: Yeah, well, this this was a, a story that uh, that I saw flare up on Twitter. I was away this week, and uh, but uh, my, my my feed takes me back to New Zealand. And I was looking at this and going, "This oh, something's blowing up with World. So World is the local fashion uh, company and it's founded by Francis Hooper and Dame Denise Lestrange Le Corbett, I think her name is. Right. She's a dame, isn't she? She is now, yes. Yeah. I think she is, yeah. yeah. And um, she's been very outspoken about other fashion labels in in New Zealand who are involved in getting stuff made in sweatshops in third world countries basically and this is a big thing in, in, in local fashion where um, if, if you make stuff locally then you, you trumpet that very loudly and then you cast dispersions on people who get their things made in, in sweatshop third world countries and I think this is a, a reading between the lines there's been a bit of a turf war going on between um, the likes of world and I think um, Karen Walker was behind Topshop opening up in Auckland and stuff, and they were seen as undercutting the local business. I may be simplifying it a lot there, but there's something along those lines. But Denise but Range was very, very outspoken about these dirty other companies that were doing these, these things, because all her stuff was made, all the world's stuff was made over in, in New Zealand. Um, it turns out that a very small portion of what they make, these T-shirts, are actually made in Bangladesh and uh, with with little bits that they add on which are made in China um, but the labels on the t-shirts, when you pick up the t-shirt in the shop says made in New Zealand but uh, it actually says fabric on New nos- Zealand in French
1: If you say it in French it doesn't um, sound so bad does
2: it? Well it's got the word fabric in it, I, I can see why oh, you'd do that. Oh
1: yeah, anyway, yeah, it's so, so um, sexy.
2: So um, Madeline Chaplin who's a, a very smart and very good young writer at the spin-off Website went into the world shop and became alerted to this anyway, and wrote this article about it, saying that, you know, here's the, the bastions of of not getting stuff made in sweatshops, um, and they're getting their stuff made in Bangladesh, um, but the label says made in New Zealand, uh, which sort of caused. Um, to, Did Denise to go on a lot of media and basically slap down Madeline and say she didn't know what she was talking about? And she's stupid because everyone knows that there's another label on the t-shirt somewhere else that says made in Bangladesh, but it's not on the top. And, uh, you know, she said the labels are made in New Zealand.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And I was just sort of John Clark in one of those. Isn't it? In one of those, you know, like, you know, one of those uh, Clark and Dawes skits about, you know, the. uh, I mean, but, you know, things like, well, it was outside the environment or, you know, just just hit, hit one of those mad kind of...
1: Yeah, you wow, can't wow. hurt the environment if it's outside the environment, it's yeah. elsewhere. A wave at sea, yeah. you must be joking.
2: And it was one of these... and, and sh- So from what I ascertain, um, this made a lot of headlines this week, but I think most of the media kind of got confused about what was going on, And I, but I picked up one thing that I was reviewing back, and I think um, John Campbell on RNZ... He, he kind of hit the right note mm. and that he he really you know tried to point out the hypocrisy that it, that seems to be going on here and it's the thing that 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 we'll just need to that's the terrible PR they just go oh look I, I can see what you mean we'll just change the label that that's a silly mistake but, yeah you know, and, and that would have been the end of it but yeah
1: she, she, she this is quite a squirm, actually. It's not bad. Uh, here it is, as it happened on Radio New Zealand with John Campbell.
0: This isn't a very rigorous occupation of the moral high ground here, Denise. I mean, you don't know what these people are getting paid. You have a, a, a card attached by safety pin to the document, which is the thing people are most sorry to the garment, which think is the thing people are most likely to see when they shop, saying fabric en nouvelle Zealand. It's not. You you know, you can see why people actually might think, What the hell is going on here?
5: It's just a tag that goes on with the price and the barcode. But it's not if but I'd it's not true, Denise. It's not true. Led by this, what, what, I taken it off. what what if you'd known but that people I, were going to believe what you were mean. telling
0: them? If you knew what I've
5: people. I've never had anyone come back and say that they were misled by this in the seven years we've been doing it.
1: That's the funny thing because <laughs> What she is asserting there is, uh, quick translation. Paul, tell me if I'm right or wrong here. We got away with it.
2: Yes, I think so. I think so. I mean, I, it, it, it just it just seems amazing that uh, that she couldn't see that that, uh, that it's not a good look. I mean, and it's an easy fix. And you know, they they, they are a very uh, successful local company. They make most, you know, probably 99% of their stuff in New Zealand, But yeah. uh, they've been caught out on this one. It's the it's problem of when you, and that, that great thing that John said at the beginning about occupying the, the moral, sort of wasn't a very it wasn't a very effective occupation of the moral high ground. Um, that came after a discussion about the, you know, cause she, she was being very adamant about if t-shirts only cost X amount of money then People are being abused overseas, and, and he asked, her, well, how much are the people who make these shirts getting paid? And she was like, well, I don't know.
1: No. We've well, re- we, we don't. Half out, the things... out to another company yeah half the things that we consume we don't know how they're being paid or no. if it's a good deal in their own country it's kind of hard to I I think we should be a little bit careful about saying oh well if they don't have four weeks holiday and earning what New Zealanders have as the minimum wage that it's um, somehow absolutely it, appalling it's, because shaky,
2: it's shaky high ground yeah anywhere, especially when we're clutching out our mobile phone's made by other people in other sweatshops to, to complain about it.
1: I'm just having a look at my shirt right now, actually. I think it is made in Bangladesh. AS Colour, isn't that where did they, get, is that where they yeah, got yeah. them from? Have you got your AS Colour, you? I love them. It's the material.
2: Yeah, well, that's, that's the shirts that, that World use. They're made by AS Colour, who are actually a New Zealand company. Mm. But they, they Is that what stuff. they told you, Paul? They get their stuff made in Bangladesh. But it doesn't say made in New Zealand on the AS Colour ones, I know.
1: No, I think it says made in Bangla. Frickin' dash, And they're very proud of it.
2: I think Bangladesh probably make better T-shirts than we make here anyway. That, that's, that's the funny thing.
1: AS Colour are the best shirts I've had. And I, went, I found them and ordered lots and lots of them. Well, there you
2: go. It's a nice and that could be a sponsor sponsor sort of deal for you. Yeah, you could line up.
1: I'm not kidding it, because someone bought me on. It was really nice. Anyway, uh, talk about t-shirts. A nightly four-hour program. What feels comfortable for you? Uh, the women's soccer team got equal pay. That is for the national representative status. Um, uh, good. I'm not decrying this, but I just would like to say. Don't use this as an argument. This was, you, this was uh, from TVNZ this week, interviewing uh, one of our female footballers. It was about time they get the same deal as the guys.
5: I think the women deserve the same amount as the men because they train just as hard as the men do.
1: A lot of people train just as hard as a lot of other people do and don't earn the same money. Um, it's, I, it's
2: Who was that though? Who was that sp- giving that quote?
1: It was one of the New Zealand female footballers. Don't know her name. I'm sorry. Yeah, don't know her. Um, Yeah, was one of the representatives who's going to be on pay, Um, on, on the same pay. On the face of it, it seems like a grand and good thing. So, should the All Blacks get the same as the women or the women the same as the All Blacks in rugby?
2: Well, they train as hard as as they. uh, They do train as hard. Or do they? Or do they? I don't know. Of course they should, but but they won't.
1: (laughs) I've got a fix. What's that? Go and watch them. Buy the jersey. Get the season tickets. Turn up to the games. Follow them. Love the game and it will follow. I
2: see what you, I see what you mean, yeah yeah. 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 That's very well. I, I've got a better fix, though. Do Something that I think is, is, has been a long time coming, and that's mixed teams. Half women, half men.
1: Wow. There
2: you go. That solves, solves the whole problem.
1: Oh, I'm not against that. Oh, I find it really difficult to watch weaker people get really hit hard.
2: Yeah, well, there, there is, there's always a downside to every great plan.
1: Yeah. Okay. No, that's an interesting thing. Why not? Maybe it will happen in the future, and you will be regarded in the future as a prophet. Uh, let's talk about this caliphate podcast.
2: Ah, uh, yes. Now this is a, a this is a great a, a great uh, investigation. Uh, it's uh, it's a podcast that I've uh, it's a podcast within a podcast, if you like. And I found this by I've been I subscribe to one called the Daily, which is the New York Times. Uh, roundup of, of news which is a twenty minute thing, it's a daily thing, it's pretty good. Um, and they have a spin off um, podcast within that. It's called Caliphate and it's it's a it's a it's a series made by a woman called Rukmani Kalamachi who's who's been in, you know, doing these articles on the Caliphate and has been in in Mosul, in in uh, in Iraq, and she's she's been embedded with with a lot of the the the, uh, the people going through and fighting ISIS and all that all that sort of carry on. She's been in quite a few places immediately after ISIS have just cleared out, and she's made these reports where she goes in and gets all their documents and takes it away and does this whole forensic thing. Of, oh Jesus! Of pe- Pasting together all the stuff that they, all their systems and all that sort of stuff. You know, it's kind of like you know when when Nazi Germany fell, they, when they found the documents of mm-hmm. you know, the Nazis were very good at keeping documents about everything. But it seems that that ISIS also a lot of documents, a lot of little guides and kind of field books and all these things. Anyway, she's she's the go-to person for uh, for ISIS and is an amazing reporter. And this is this is her series on as she's going in and, and talking to a lot of um, ex-fighters and stuff and and people who have been recruited by ISIS. Um, and this little clip we're going to hear now, this is a, a bit of her talking about um, she's been finding her, her name come up on a lot of the online message boards that ISIS have where they, they, they're commenting about her. Mm.
4: Okay. I've become a presence in their online chat rooms. They talk about my reporting. They dissect my tweets. They sometimes insult me, and these insults, if I can, if I can just say so, sometimes are pretty funny. I think they figured out that I'm sensitive about my weight, so they sometimes call me Oink Mini instead of Rook Mini. It's Oink Mini, like pig fat mochi. (laughs) I'm sorry to laugh. (laughs) I I mean, there's something ironic about being fat shamed by ISIS, you know? So, um, you know, they'll, they'll make jabs about how I've put on a couple of pounds based on my latest, you know, TV appearance. But then sometimes what they say is dead serious. So, for example, when I was in Mosul a couple of months ago, they started talking about how they were hoping that I would get killed in Mosul, just like the Kurdish journalist who was killed there at the same time uh, in the city. Hmm. Uh, but then, let's see, what are the others? Um, Do you have like a folder on your phone where you keep the threats? Is that what I'm looking at here? Yeah, exactly. One of them is a masked man who was holding up a knife that he's pointing towards the camera, and he said, um, under a picture of me, wanted to be killed, this crusader woman that refuses to join to Islam, Rukmini Kalimaki. Please join to religion before beheading or truck from our soldiers of Islamic State. Okay, pretty explicit. Um, uh, so, so they created a channel where they're pretending to be me, and then they're pretending to post in this channel as me. And it says, I, I have to confess something here. I started covering ISIS because they are real men. I always fantasize about getting raped by them. That's all my fantasies. This is the sole reason I made multiple trips to Mosul, just to get captured by ISIS so that they can uh, fulfill my desires.
2: That's yeah, Minnie Kellerman. I love that her joke about being fat-shamed by ISIS. Yeah. That's, that's a bit of background um, to the series, rather than the actual series. Okay. And, and the most compelling stuff I've heard. She tracks down um, a, a guy who was who had been brought in by ISIS, an American dude. And you know, he he obviously is quite reluctant to talk, but she manages to get him to talk. And just getting behind the psychology of why people join and 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 how they what they what the offered, what they promised, what happened when they got there to fight and, and all that sort of stuff. It's really fascinating stuff.
1: It's so hard to get good information from those areas because there's a very short queue of people lining up saying, I'll do that.
2: Yes, she's, she's fearless. I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing the, the stuff that she was prepared to do. She's a fearless reporter. Um, it's called Caliphate. And if you just search for that in the, in your podcast searches, but uh, it's, it's part of the daily. It's, it's, a, it's a real good one. Okay.
1: Nice call. Uh, we'll take a break, come back shortly. More Media Stick with Paul Cassidy. The
0: weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. Enter online for a VIP experience.
1: Media Stick with Paul Cassidy this week. Finding it in due to a virus of some
2: intention. Always finding it in generally, Graham. <laughs> Got some royal news just hot off the press. Ooh, ooh. Found Manny to Meghan's secret first hubby. This is, this is big news. The hush-hush annulment. How she hid past from husband number two. Poor Harry will be husband number three.
6: <gasps> oh, my
1: God.
2: This has just come out. I picked this up at the airport um, flying um, here from Houston the other day. Um, it's, it's from a magazine called the National Enquirer, so it may not be completely 100% accurate, mm. but uh, they have some great quotes in it, which are you know, the usual sort of gushing things and observations. In fact, I think they have a body, um, a body language expert. Body language expert Dr Lillian Glass agreed that there's definitely tension between them ahead of their May 19 nuptials, <laughs> noting Prince Harry's distant gaze and Megan's rigid posture at the Anzac Day ceremony at Westminster. Dr. Glass told the Inquirer, his face is red, it's flushed, and he's got his jaw clenched. She's looking in the other direction and holding her purse tightly. Ah. That's not a good sign.
1: Oh, (laughs) jeez. Oh, that's fabulous. You you know, just one particular image uh, when they are saluting millions (laughs) and millions of dead people. (laughs) Yeah.
2: And he's a redhead anyway, so he's a generally kind of a red complexion. Right.
1: He's gotten rid of the swastika garb, though, hasn't he? He, he did yeah. that of a Friday night once for a bit of a laugh.
2: Yeah, Harry the Nazi was the headline on the Sun for that one, which is quite pretty funny.
1: Is he a Nazi? Of course he's who, not. Who do we go for? That's right. Betteridge's Law of Headlines? Question mark equals no. Is he a Nazi? No. Okay. All right. And, uh, and, uh, I
2: was just looking through the Voyager uh, awards. You know, the there was the media awards on... On the weekend um, that they used to be the Canon Awards I think and maybe it was the Qantas before that and just looking
1: for nice of th- you to remember the sponsors Paul
2: yeah well, there you go but uh, well you know it's, it's funny isn't it well I'd have I guess because I won a Qantas award once, oh. once upon a time back in the day
1: pie.
2: so are you familiar with the, with the sports writing I know you're a sports person of, of, of Dana Johansson in the Herald
1: oh I've read some yeah
2: yeah, she she won the sports journalist of the year. Oh cool. Yeah. And also I just and also I just another name that I just caught my eye there is, cuz I think you've got a Hindmarsh on your books, haven't you? Don't you have a Hindmarsh on your show? We do. Doing what's what's that? Connection. To?
1: He's the Hindmarsh of the Outsider's uh, Tales, oh, a fr- right. fresh one tonight between 11 and 12. Oh right. I,
2: I wonder if Nina Hindmarsh or the Nelson Mail might be related to him.
1: It's his daughter.
2: Oh, there you go. Yeah. Lovely. Well, yeah. She, well, she won Best Reporter Junior.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Yay.
2: There was one other name that I recognize. He did here.
1: trumpet it this week in an email. Which <laughs> is lovely.
2: Jackson, which is Willie Jackson's son. He also won. Um, oh, this
1: is it. Nepotism R- everywhere. Reporters. These people for, are um, hopeless. You know,
2: and, and entertainment. So I'm just looking through the names here. Um, for, uh, He works for Marae on TV1. So, hmm. yeah. it's the, the, the kid's coming through, isn't it? Great. There's an impi. Do you think that might be Brent Impey's Tasha Impey?
1: The T- Nepotism Impey. Awards 2018, yeah. yeah, would be anyway. call it. These people are clearly untalented and are uh, just given uh, prizes because they have famous parents. That's right. Carlton Pearson. Who the hell is he? Okay. Paul?
2: Carlton Pearson. I first came across him on a, this. So have we, we've got two clips to play for this one, eh? hmm Yeah, so I uh, first heard about him listening to another podcast on NPR, and he's in evangelical Bishop who it's a a fascinating story and I think this little clip here just gives us a little synopsis without me babbling on too much
3: okay here we go this is Triner can you
6: hear me okay
5: yes I can what
6: were your in-laws doing in the building this is the Larry King show the day after the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995 his guests are a young couple the Triners who lost their relatives in the bombing and a young charismatic preacher
3: Joining us from Tulsa is Reverend Carlton Pearson, who spoke at yesterday's very moving prayer service. What do you say to people like the Treeners? Well, Brad already mentioned his faith in God, and um, I said yesterday that experience is not only what happens to you, but what you do with what happens to you. And-
6: Carlton Pearson, at the time that he talked to Larry King, was a rising evangelical megastar, a Republican activist who prayed in the Bush Senior White House a guest on the 700 Club, host of a national TV show. He traveled all over the world in charter jets, lecturing to fundamentalist gatherings. But at the height of his popularity, he became involved in a scandal. Though not the kind of scandal that you usually think of when you hear the word scandal. He didn't have an affair, didn't embezzle money, he didn't admit an addiction to prescription painkillers. No, no, None of that. He stopped believing in hell. And what happened to him next was the kind of thing that happens from time to time here in America. Even now, he became a heretic.
2: A heretic. A heretic, right. A heretic, so he stopped believing in hell.
6: What about and, the heaven bit?
2: Well, no, he still be, he still believe. He, you know, he's obviously, I don't know, he stopped oh, believing in hell okay. and it, th- this, th- this, the
1: half fast it. approach to the subject really, yeah. isn't it? But yeah, anyway, it's, carry it's, on, it's, Paul,
2: anyway, sorry. He, anyway, he, he, I mean,
1: he, he, he came
2: to this conclusion and there's now a new film on Netflix called Come Sunday, which, which you can watch on, on Netflix, which, which tells the story, um, and the, and the film is actually, I think, one of uh, This American Life. It's like a, it's a This American Life production. But anyway, it's it's a great story. Um, the guy was watching the coverage of, I think, post Rwanda mm. and starving African these children who were like left over and, and flies all over them. And they...
1: well, he describes this. Paul, should we should he, we play that audio?
2: So this is the mo- he, so he was watching that on TV, and that's when he had his epiphany.
3: Okay, here it is. They reach for their mother's breast and the mother's breast looks like a little pencil hanging there. I mean, the baby's reaching for the breast. There's no milk. And I, my little fat-faced baby and a plate of food and a big screen television. And I said, God, I don't know how you could call yourself a loving, sovereign God and allow these people to suffer this way and just suck them right into hell, which is what was my assumption. And I heard a voice say within me, "So that's what you think we're doing." And I remember I didn't say yes or no. I said, "That's what I've been taught. We're sucking them into hell." I said, "Yes." And what would change that? Well, they need to get saved. And how would that happen? Well, somebody needs to preach the gospel to them and get them saved.
1: I suppose you could call that progress of some sort from his yeah.
2: yeah well, I mean, well, this guy's making a lot of money as a as a as a Pentecostal minister. Hmm. Believed what he believed, and then had this epiphany of of sorts, and then his he lost his he lost his whole congregation immediately because people don't like the people in that world don't like the idea that there isn't a hell mm. that you go to if you don't become a Pentecostal.
1: Yeah, woman. yeah, it kind of uh, defeats the purpose really yeah. of going to heaven. Yeah,
2: but it's uh, it's a fascinating story. It's a, it's a great podcast, but it's uh, okay, a good movie too. Um, come Sunday on Netflix.
1: Right, another um, factual documentary. In so many ways, very, very enlightening. Uh, We've mentioned it previously, both yourself, Paul, and uh, Tamar Moonk. It's coming out in dribs and drabs, uh, episode one, two, three, and now episode four of Philomena Kunk and her look at Britain. The writing is just superb. I make no uh, apology, not even a withering one, giving a little taste of what she's up to. This week, it's on YouTube. Philomena kank on Britain.
5: On his journey, he visited the Noel Gallagher's Islands and came up with a theory.
1: Oh, this is talking about uh, Charles Darwin.
5: The animals that were dead were less likely to reproduce than ones that were alive. Talk me through the events that led up to the moment where Charles Darwin invented the monkey.
1: Darwin didn't uh, invent the monkey no one in- invented a monkey
5: okay well talk me through the events that led up to the moment where charles darwin didn't invent the monkey
1: charles darwin saw monkeys as potential progenitors of humans i.e we could have have evolved from them
5: when they put monkeys in zoos how long does it take for them to turn human
1: well
2: it's not really to do with the zoo in
5: 1859 he wrote a book about his theory called The Oranges of the Peaches, which described how oranges have evolved from peaches. Controversially, the book claimed that man was descended from monkeys, a twist most of the readers were unprepared for. The idea that man and ape were close relatives was considered both hilarious and shocking. A bit like Graham Norton, but with more profound consequences for all humankind.
1: (laughs) Beautiful. Nothing more to say other oh, than go watch it. It's lovely. It's Anyone C-U-N-K can see C-U-N-K it. It's it's spelled, by the way. C N U K. C U K How else would you spell it? Well, you might say K. You might think it's a K.
2: Oh, yeah, 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 good. Just trying to be helpful to your listeners, Graham. No, no. Do you, you ever consider that?
1: I, I try to, but I failed on that occasion. I'm really sorry, and I appreciate you backing me up. Thank you uh christopher hitchens god i miss him um now this is something also available regarding some guru dude
2: yeah so this is a this is another netflix this is a big big one at the moment that, that most people are watching it's called wild wild country it's a series about the Rajnish guru and actually christopher hitchens features in it quite a bit because he made a film about it about back in the day, and and they dropped quite a bit of it. And this is a a documentary. It's not a dramatization. Uh, It's a very, very good series. I I, I remember a a friend of mine, his brother was a Rajneesh, and I never quite knew what that was. But I kind of knew it had to do with... I thought it had to do with sex. I thought there was a bit of sort of free love or something going on. But um, anyway, this this is the fascinating tale of the Rajneesh. And this is just a bit from Christopher Hitchens' own book, that I thought would be uh, worth replaying. This is a bit of him describing his um, his observations when he went to the Rajneesh uh, place to, to see what it was all about.
1: Okay, and when we, uh, at the other end of it, tell tell people how they can go there. Okay, here's Christopher
0: Hitchens. The guru in question was named Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. Bhagwan simply means God or Godly and Sri means Holy. He was a man with huge soulful eyes and a bewitching smile. And a natural, of somewhat dirty, sense of humour. His sibilant voice, usually deployed through a low volume microphone at early morning darshan, possessed a fairly hypnotic quality. This was of some use in alleviating the equally hypnotic platitudinousness of his discourses. There was more emphasis on love in its eternal sense, and certainly there was more emphasis on sex, in its immediate sense, but on the whole, the instruction was innocuous. Or it would have been, if not for a sign at the entrance to the Bhagwan's preaching tent, This little sign never failed to irritate me. It read, Shoes and minds must be left at the gate. There was a pile of shoes and sandals next to it, and in my transcendent condition I could almost picture a heap of abandoned and empty mentalities to round out this literally mindless little motto. I even attempted a brief parody of a Zen koan, What is the reflection of a mind discarded? For the blissed-out visitor or tourist, the ashram presented the outward aspect of a fine spiritual resort where one could burble about the beyond, in an exotic and luxurious setting. But within its holy precincts, as I soon discovered, there was a more sinister principle at work. Many damaged and distraught personalities came to Pune, seeking advice and counsel. Several of them were well off. The clients or pilgrims included a distant member of the British royal family, and were at first urged, as with so many faiths, to part with all their material possessions. Proof of the efficacy of this advice could be seen in the fleet of Rolls-Royce motorcars maintained by the Bagwan, and deemed to be the largest such collection in the world. After this relatively brisk fleecing, initiates were transferred into group sessions where the really nasty business began. Wolfgang Dobrovolny's film, Ashram, shot in secret by a former devotee and adapted for my documentary, shows the playful term Kundalini in a fresh light. In a representative scene, a young woman is stripped naked and surrounded by men who bark at her drawing attention to all her physical and psychic shortcomings, until she's abject with tears and apologies. At this point she is hugged and embraced and comforted until that she now has a family. Sobbing with masochistic relief, she humbly enters the tribe. It was not absolutely clear what she had to do in order to be given her clothes back, but I did hear some believable and ugly testimony on this point.
1: Ah, nice one, Christopher Hitchens. That masochistic sort of relief that he talks about. And so much a part of these things, um, someone, I think it was uh, Chris Morris, uh, put it uh, very succinctly, uh, that sense of euphoria you have when you stop vomiting. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, so the series the, the Wild Wild Country... It's uh, so it follows the, the guru, this, this guru, the Bagwan Sri Rajneesh. Who, yeah. who, uh, but to he, he has to he has to leave India. He goes to because someone bomb tries to bomb him or something. So uh, this is it starts off with him building this big commune in Oregon, which of course, to to the horror of the local farm, you know, the the, the, the farm people, and, and their horror just grows by the day. And it's a, it's a fascinating uh, documentary.
1: Okay, um, just on iTunes things. It's on the Netflix. Uh, oh, sorry, it's on the Netflix. It's on the Netflix, Graham. I should have paid attention rather than looking at motor racing that's going on. In the it's called. Oh. Th- th- it's interesting. The
2: Rajneesh have changed their name to the Osho Movement today. Oh, really? If you've ever heard ever
1: heard, heard that? Okay, trying oh, to yeah. squirm out of it with a new um, letterhead. Yeah. Okay, now uh, let's talk about James Carville on Giuliani oh, and yeah. Trump. Giuliani's gone; he's gone full nuts, hasn't
2: he? He's he has gone full nuts, or was or is he just running interference? It's hard to tell. Yeah. But um, I I spent a few. I was in the United States last week, and just the wall to. I watched wall to wall, you know, Trump bashing on MSNBC and CNN, and I mean, no, he, you know, he's he's uh, an easy target. But I I got quite tired of it because it was all kind of one tone and and. Uh, it's it's
1: getting quite tedious and... It's a bit like shooting fish in a barrel in some oh, ways, Paul, isn't yeah, it? You'll be pleased to know we found it again. <laughs> there it is. And, yeah.
2: <laughs> and uh, it was... Uh, I just... I, and I heard one voice that, that kind of spoke a bit of comp, who sort of had a, had a take on it. You know, James Carvell, he was the guy who uh, ran with Bill Clinton. He, he was famous for... For getting Clinton le- elected, and I think he came up with the, uh, the the famous saying, which is "It's the economy, stupid." That was that, that came from James Carvel. Mm-hmm. He's a Southerner. He's got a great accent. He's he's a really interesting chap. But I, he his his observation on the Trump Giuliani madness, I just thought it sounded clear-headed,
1: and I liked it. Okay. Yeah, it's. <clears throat> Yeah, you appreciate it when there's just so much noise from both sides just going madness. Uh, not to say that the centre is always the best position to be in. But anyway, uh, Paul, thanks heaps for a great lineup of stuff. We have no New Zealand accent this week. Nobody that I heard uh, deserved it. So yeah, you can be it if you like. Just say, give me a peanut butter sandwich and you'll be it. New Zealand Accent of the Week, Paul Casley.
2: Give me a peanut butter sandwich. Uh, James, how does this Trump situation end, in your view? When people ask you that, how do you answer? How does this end?
3: Well, I think, I think one day he's just going to leave. I, I, it, it just, you don't see, it, it's really unique, I mean, I went through a similar thing and I had a, a roller, I guess, that people would call me a tag dog during the Clinton thing, but I was not one of the lawyers. It, it's really unprecedented when you see one of the president's lawyers, which is an entirely different status than a president's political supporter, uh, going on television after one of his experiences. Uh, the, Avenatti, the lawyer for Stormy Daniels, who's you know done really well, said he 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 thought it was a hoax that Giuliani really wasn't saying what he was saying. It, it it's very very unprecedented and it, and it's very weird. And I know Emmett Flood slightly, but I know people that tell me that you know he's a terrific lawyer, and that guy must be beating his head against the wall right now as to, to what's going on. It, it it's a very strange situation that a president's lawyer would be going out and saying the things that that. Rudy Giuliani is saying it?
0: The Weekend Variety Wireless with Doc Edge Festival New Zealand's premier documentary film festival
1: Keep listening if you want to win some double tickets to the documentary Edge Festival Also John Diverg 9.30 Sceptical Thoughts with Mark Honeychurch of New Zealand sceptics and a wonderful array of woo and weirdness some of which he's taken part in in himself. He does that sort of thing. It's a public service, a sacrifice, a little like Jesus, in some ways.